0: Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. So I'm sitting at my table back there and this guy incognito sneaks up. Look, Tony's in a suit. You don't see that very often. I had a, uh, so this week I, I, was, uh, I was driving and I, uh, I called Mark Krukenberg and surprise, surprise, I found him in a tractor that season, right? It's a season of planting. You go back, uh, Jesus tells a, a parable about planting, talks about different soil types. A lot of you probably remember that, uh, that parable, that story that he tells. But I, I, I forget the rest of the parable for just a minute about the soil types. At the end, he actually says something, and that is is that the goal, of a, the goal is actually for that seed to grow and to bear fruit. And sometimes I think we forget that. I have a core basic belief That God designed us not just to exist, but to actually grow and to bear fruit. And regardless of where you are, how long you've been doing this, God still wants us to be growing. And again, unfortunately, I've been in a lot of churches where that's not the norm. That seems to have been a forgotten thing. To do that, we've got to be connected to him. And it's written into our very DNA, it's like eating, it's like breathing, uh, it, it's something that we were designed to experience regularly, and it is something that, that actually sustains us and helps us to become that which God designed us to become. With that said, let me ask this question How well do you actually know Him? Yeah, I remember several years ago I was uh, across the state, and I had this other pastor come up to me, and he found out that I was in Dubuque, and apparently, churches like us are are rare on the eastern side of Iowa and he's like hey I I don't know if you know about this other church there's another church over on the eastern side of Iowa and he starts telling me about this crazy place called Adventure and this guy named Tony Liston and he goes on and on and I just kind of I smiled nodded and I let him I kind of let him go and at one point, I finally looked at him, and I go, so how do you, how well do you know adventure? How do you know Tony? And he goes, oh, well, last year we were on vacation and we were coming back through the eastern side of Iowa on the way back over to the west side, which is the only side that matters, I guess. And, uh, and he goes, and, and, and so we stopped there for, for a service. It's like, you got all of that out of one service? Like that, that's it? Look, I find a lot of people's relationship about God is kind of like that. You know, they've heard some stuff about him, they had some glancing encounters, but they aren't really in relationship with him. Let me ask you this question. When you pray, who do you pray to? How do you picture God? We've all got some of that built in, right? I mean, we all kind of have some things. Some of them are hang-ups, some of them are things that actually help us. You know, I have talked to a lot of people through the years about how they picture God, who it is they're praying to, who they're actually in relationship with. Depending on maybe their family situation, depending on what church they went to, depending on what the pastor or the priest was like, whatever it was, I mean, I find all kinds of different things. I find some of you, uh, some people believe that God is kind of like a grumpy old man, that he's just, he's kind of like that get off my lawn guy, you know, he's kind of there when things really go south, you can depend on him, but I mean, otherwise he's kind of just grumpy all the time. I find some people uh, see God as kind of that moody dad who can't be counted on to really follow through because maybe that's what your dad was like growing up. I, I find some people who think of God kind of like the cosmic cop who's just up there and he's waiting for you to screw up. He's got the radar gun up, you know, he's got the, got the trap out. Other people who think of God kind of like the dictator God who's just out to suck up all your fun and tell you exactly how to live and you do things his way or you get beat down, thrown into the gulag. And then, you know, I mean, there's other people who think of God kind of like Santa Claus, you know, I mean, you just, you try to be good through the year, right? You try to balance out the good from the bad, and hopefully you end up on his good list and that way when you ask for things, he shows up and he, he gives you the things that you want. I mean, we could go on and on. I mean, we could talk about Gumby God, where you make him look like what you want, or Potato Head God. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways to talk through this because there's all kinds of different ways that people misperceive God. There's a, a thing that humans seem to naturally do called anthropomorphism. Every Disney movie you've ever watched is based on this idea. Um, it, it takes advantage of the, the tendency that, that humans seem to have where we take human emotions and human traits and, uh, and human attentions and we stick them onto non-human things. That's why city people have that really surprised look on their face when what they thought was a cuddly teddy bear is a grizzly and it rips their head off. That's why they're surprised. We've got a bad habit of doing that with God as well, though. Yeah, We try to make him out to be like us because it's easier to deal with a God made in our image than the other way around. And while I see a lot of that today, I, I just want you to realize that's not a new thing. I, I mean, people have been doing this forever, I think, since sin entered in. Look at Psalm fifty twenty one. God's talking to uh, his people, and he says, look, when you did this, when you were living the way that you wanted to live, I didn't say a word, and so you assumed. You made some assumptions. You thought God's just like us. Later in Isaiah, God further calls out his people for this. Isaiah 55, eight through nine. This is the message translation of it. I don't think the way you think, and the way you work isn't the way I work. And for his... As the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work and the way I think is beyond the way that you think. I I love this A.W. Tozer uh, quote that's in your listening guide there. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Your understanding of what God is like, it shapes everything else in your life, including how you relate and how you speak to him, what your relationship with him is like. You know, there's a lot of important aspects about God, and we could, man, we could spend multiple series talking about the characteristics of God and what God is like, but there's one really foundational aspect that I want to spend some time on today, because this one... Every interaction we have with him, our most base understanding of him is based on this. It's actually the starting point of scripture. And that is just simply this. It's very, very simple. God is good. That's the starting point of scripture. Bias is a term that gets thrown around a lot today. I'll be honest with you. The bias of scripture is simply this. It is the context for all of the Bible And for some of you, that's going to be a difficult starting point because you've got it in your head. When you picture God, it's that cosmic cop or it's the dictator or it's the the dad who let you down and you struggle past that. And I, I get that. You know, one thing I appreciate about scripture is it doesn't oversimplify God. Some of you struggle with God in the Old Testament. I get it. We actually talked about that in that series right at the beginning of the year. God is not simple. Sometimes it takes some work to wrestle through even those, these most basic beliefs about him. But let me in the most, the quickest, most concise way that I can explain to you why we believe that God is good. Psalm 145.9 says this, the Lord is good to everyone and he showers compassion on all of his creation. All right, so from the beginning, scripture begins with what? A loving God who lovingly creates, and not only does he create, he creates perfection, right? He gets to the end of the creation cycle, and he looks at it, and what does he say? It's very good, right? It's perfect. This is what I intended. It is good. This is exactly what I was hoping for. This is what I was shooting for. This was the intention. It is not just I like it, but it is good. I created good. But it not stop there. That good God who created out of love continues to sustain, continues to bless that creation even after it chooses to reject him. We don't, we don't even need to get very far. We're just a few chapters in and we already see this happening. But this loving God who creates good, suddenly the good is corrupted and the thing that corrupted it, he still loves and he still takes care of. Yeah, I, had a, I had a pet mouse as a kid. And uh, it was a white mouse. I don't remember what its name was. I had a guinea pig named Bam Bam because he was huge. He was like this long, the biggest guinea pig I've ever seen. I don't remember the mouse's name, but I had this mouse. And uh, at one point I, w- I was reaching in and I was doing something in the, the aquarium that I kept it in in its cage. And uh, I was trying to pick it up and it jumped or it did something. And I kind of squeezed it a little harder than I should have. And it bit me in a finger. And from that point on, every time I stuck my hand into that cage, it bit me. Didn't matter what I was doing. I could change out the water bottle. It would run from the other end. It would run up and bite me in the finger, stupid thing. i start bleeding. And so after about the, the fifth, sixth, I don't know, seventh time of that happening, Benevolent Travis was done. And so Benevolent Travis decided, you know what, if you want to bite stuff, I'll take you out in the wild where you can bite anything you want. And so at dusk, I took my white mouse out to the edge of the woods when the owls were waking up, and I said, go free! (laughs) Man, I am so glad God's not like me. (laughs) Aren't you? (laughs) This reality of a fallen creation and a good God who continues to sustain and bless, man, that is the story of Scripture. Jesus continues to reiterate it. As a matter of fact, at one point, he just looks at a religious leader and he says, God is the only thing that's good. The ultimate good in the story of God, though, we just celebrated a few weeks ago. What did we celebrate just a few weeks ago as we started the series? Easter, right? This is why we make such a big deal out of Easter. Celebrating a God who is so good that he would join us in this mess personally and then suffer and die for our rebellion to conquer what we can't beat. Man, that that good that is God is is why I think John 3.16 is so popular, right? I mean, it gets held up at wrestling events. I, everybody knows John three sixteen. What does it say? God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. So when we talk about God being good, what we're talking about is both the love that he created us in as well as the way he sustains and the way he provides for us. That's the most basic version of why we believe that God is good. Regardless of where you may be in sorting through, whether that is 100% accurate or not, can I just suggest to you that if God truly is good, then that should have some implications on our relationship with him. It should have some implications on on our life and how we live our life. It should have some implications on how we talk to him. time we have left together, I'd like to explain floor of just a, a few of those ways where the fact that he is good should color our understanding of and our relationship with him so because God is good that means his plans for my life will always be good in the old testament um God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah to his people he told him this Jeremiah 29 11 through 13 I know the plans I have for you says the Lord they're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope In those days, you'll pray and I'll listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I believe that promise is consistent with other promises in Scripture that God has made for us today as well. Look, follow my logic just for a moment. The Bible says that God, again, created us uh, out of good, and when he was done with creation, he called it good. If God created us in good and for good, do you think that wouldn't still be his intention today? It doesn't even make sense that it wouldn't be, right? If he loved us even after we had chosen our own ways instead of his, if he continued to pursue us for generation after generation, if he came as Jesus to do the ultimate good, then doesn't it stand to reason that God, who can create good and continue to work out good, even the, out of the messiest situation on the cross, can be trusted to do good with your life as well? No matter what you've done, no matter where you've came from, no matter what you've chosen, man, you have a good God who cares about you. He cares about your life and cares about where it's going and cares about the purpose that he created you for. See, that's, that's part of why Paul writes this to the Romans. Look at Romans 820, 828 here. We know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. And you know what? There may be no better, better picture of that in Scripture than, than the story of Joseph in Genesis. Do you guys remember that story, some of you? Story of a a spoiled son who is sold off into slavery by his brothers, you know, which that's the part we look at. We go, I can't imagine. I had two brothers. I can imagine. I get it. (laughs) Right? He's given up for dead by his father. He's unfairly treated in Egypt. He's imprisoned only for God to raise him up to save those same brothers, to save that same father, to save those same officials. And his experience, I think, in so many ways culminates in his statement. I, I love this statement that Joseph makes when his brothers figure out who he is. They're scared to death, which, again, is one of those things as an older brother, I look at it, like, I, I, I could picture that, like, I, that would be fun, right? Um, but he says this, look at Genesis fifty twenty. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Look at this, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. That's an incredible way to look at his life. Life can be hard. I, man, I'm not, gonna make, I, I'm not gonna argue that with you. Sometimes we make it hard, sometimes because other people make it hard, sometimes just because this broken world is hard. But when you really get this, That God is not only powerful enough to work out good out of the bad situations in your life, but even more so, he's good enough that he would choose to do that. Man, that's life-changing. Look at Romans 5, 3 through 4. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us to develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. That is not a natural thing. It's not a natural way to look at a hard world. Your prayer life will take a dramatic shift when you realize that even when it's hard to see, the God we love is good and he has the ability to someday bring good even out of the bad situations that we're going through. That reality really will, it'll change your approach, how you approach him, how you converse with him, how you, how you are in relationship with him. Most of all, it provides the foundation to trust him with your future. See what all this means, if God really is good, if he does care about my life, if he's working good, even out of the hard situations, the bad situations of my life, then I can trust him with my future. Now, let me just ask this. Does your prayer life reflect that kind of trust? Or is your prayer life more kind of constantly going to him in panic, going, God, did you know about this? God, this is so hard. God, did you hear? God, did did you see me? Do you see what's going on? Or is there some faith and some trust that's expressed in there where you go to him and go, God, man, I don't know how you're going to bring good out of this. This sucks. But God, I know you can, so I trust, but God, please help me. Second thing, because God is good. Through Christ, he can give me what I need, not what I deserve. Oh, that tricky word, deserve. (laughs) Be careful, be careful with that word. You know, you want to know why that word is so tricky? It's because we got such a limited view of life, particularly our own lives, Sometimes we think that we deserve things, which in truth we don't. On the other side, sometimes we think what we deserve is just simply a drop in the bucket of the blessings that God wants to give us. We undervalue it. The Bible lays out plainly a harsh reality none of us really want to accept. The brokenness and rebellion in our lives comes with a really severe consequence. Romans 6 says it simply, the consequence of sin is death. And that is a consistent message going all the way back to the garden at creation with Adam and Eve, not telling him, look, don't choose your own way. That that, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, really what that was, was God saying, look, here's here's the boundaries, here's the lines, don't choose your own way. If you choose your own way, there's gonna be a consequence to that. And that, It's death. What do we deserve? Because God is good, God came to earth. That's why the verse in Romans doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with what it deserves. It goes on to say that while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is life through Jesus. The author of Psalms 103 was prophetically looking forward to that reality of God's goodness. Look at it there in your listening guide. Psalm 103, verses 10 and then verse 12. He doesn't punish us for all our sins. He doesn't deal harshly with us as we deserve. He's removed our sins as far as the east from the west. There's a really Important part of that, that verse in, in Romans, though, Romans 6.23, that I kind of left out. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life to Jesus. Can I just say something important? So important, I don't want to mix words. I'm going to say this really bluntly. God forgives you not because you're good enough, but because he is good. Let me say that one more time. God forgives you not because you are good enough, but because he's good. Can't earn it, you don't deserve it for anything that you can do, that you can pull off. God does it because he loves us. How much does he love us? I I love this little little verse in Psalm 27 because I think it strips away all pretense. And for some of you, this is going to get hit home in a really personal way. Psalm 27, 10, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will take care of me. Two people on earth who, in the most basic way, ought to love us and take care of us and nurture us. And I know not all of us got that. That's the way it's supposed to be. It so says, you know what? Even if those two most basic people who brought us into the world abandon us, God never, ever will. Some of us look and go, well, if my mom and dad couldn't love me, then no one could. God can. And that means something. If God is that good that he would go through all of that to give... Again, not earn, not that we got to go through anything. It's to give us something we don't deserve. You need to let that reality erase all the fear you have about approaching him. See, it, it changes our relationship with him that when we go to him, some of you look at God and you're like, but you don't know what I've done. Couldn't love me, not me. You, you don't understand. Not, God couldn't accept me. There's that fear that's holding you back. If God is this good, that means you can approach Him without fear. Again, not that you shouldn't appreciate who you're addressing, okay? But that there's nothing you've done He still won't accept you for. Hebrews four, fifteen to sixteen. Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't sin. So, whenever we're in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. And there will be treated with what? Underline it. Undeserved kindness will find help. How far will he go? How far did he go? Well, again, because God is so good, he was willing to go through hell to rescue you and me. Now, I say that statement not as a, uh, that statement's subjective. I'm not trying to get into a doctrinal argument with anybody, but just take it for what I mean it. Let me just say it this way. There's only one story in the world where God comes to earth purposefully to sacrifice his life to save his people. Let me allow scripture to lay out the story for you. Some of it in Jesus' own words. Jesus says this in John 10, 14 through 15. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. John 15, 13. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Okay, look at how this works its way out. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so we could be made right with God through Christ. Look at Romans 4:25. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Look at Romans 5:10. Look at the culmination of this. We were God's enemies, but he made us his friends through the death of his son. Man, that last one, let me just give you a minute to read it one more time. It's short. Read it one more time. Just look at it. Because it's pretty, pretty amazing. God is so good that he put a plan in motion that through Jesus he would shift, shift us from enemies of God and his plan to friends with God and part of his plan. Man, that's a dramatic shift. That's as far as the east from the west kind of shift, isn't it? Have you ever sat and really thought about that? What does it mean to be God's friend? Have you ever re- really considered the weight of what that means for you, the weight of what it means for your life? Relationally, it means that in Christ, we can approach God with familiarity. Familiarity. You know, the last prayer that, that Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's, uh, before he's arrested and before he's taken off to trial and then ultimately put on the cross. There's one last prayer that we catch in there. You can find it in Mark 14, 36. Jesus starts his prayer with these words. Abba, Father. That's the, that's the equivalent of dad for us. It's what my kids get to call me. Torn and Ava are the only two people on this earth that get to call me dad. I'm really sure of that too. They are the only ones who get to call me dad. It's a special title. Relationally, it carries with it something, something very intimate, right? Because they're the only ones, two people out of how many billion people in the world that are alive right now get to call me dad. Galatians, God tells us that the Holy Spirit prompts us to approach him with that same term. But because he is good, like a good parent, it also means something that I don't always like, and I'm sure you don't really like either, and that is this. Because God is good, he also, he doesn't say yes to every request. There's this great bonehead moment caught in scripture. There's some great bonehead moments in scripture. I ought to do a list sometime of the greatest... Ten bonehead moments in Scripture, but this this has to be up there. Where Jesus and his disciples are together, it's at the Last Supper. It's actually caught in Matthew twenty, and uh, two of them are brothers, and their moms there. <laughs> And their mom comes up to Jesus and says, look, Jesus, let, I, I know, because this is right after the triumphal entry and all that stuff. And so everybody thinks he's going to be king. And she's like, hey, when you're king, will you take my two sons and make them like the, the top people in your, you know, in your thing? Make them on your right hand and your left hand. Can you make them the top people in your entire empire? Can you imagine among your friends, your mom showing up and going up to like the important person going, hey, <laughs> I, I love this, right? And so everybody's listening to their mom say this. I mean, it's, it's like open. It's in front of the whole table. The other twelve, the other 10 disciples are there listening to this. And they, they get in a big argument over who's most important. This is where I so wish we had a video camera of Jesus. Like, I'd love to see that movie. Primarily, what was his facial expressions while this is going down? I think he just stood there going like just shaking his head I love the way the message translates this because I think I think it feels the way that James and John would have actually responded in real life because I've had other guy friends and I can see this going down exactly like this Matthew 20, 22 Jesus responded you have no idea what you're asking (laughs) he's just shaking his head lady, you have no clue what you're asking me. And then he turns to James and John. He goes, you guys really think that you can do this with me? Do you think that you're capable of drinking the cup that I'm about to drink? And they look at him and go, sure, why not? Yeah, we can hang with you, Jesus. We can do it. (laughs) Again, I've been in these situations. I know what this sounds like. How often do you think we have similar conversations with God? We pray and we plead about that thing with God, the thing that we have our hearts set on at the moment. And he looks at us and he says the same thing every parent has said to their child in a store at some point where they walk up with a toy and they're like, you want to use your money on that? Right? The entire store, you want that? That's what you're going to ask for? Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine if God had said yes to every one of your prayers? Think about that for a minute. Revel in that one for a minute. Can you imagine if he had said yes to all of them? Every relationship? (laughs) Think about it. Every job, every deal that you thought was a great idea at the time, when I lived in Florida, I had this, it was the first time I was in Florida, I was a bachelor, I was dumb. There was a guy with a Range Rover that didn't have an engine in it, I thought I was going to sell my car and I was going to put a new engine in this Range Rover and I was going to flip it and sell it for tons of money and luckily my dad's name was also on the title so I couldn't sell the car. I look back on that, I'm like, what was I thinking? Like That was a terrible idea all the way around. Can you trust that God knows better than you do what you need? Honestly. I mean we give a lip service, but really. Luke eleven, nine through thirteen. We we read part of this last week. I want to read through the end because there's something surprising at the very end that I think most people miss out of this passage. So I tell you, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Non-poisonous, but sometimes. Anyway, um, or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's interesting. We transition from all these things we think we want and we need, and Jesus gets down to the end and goes, you don't know what you need. Here's what you need. You see it in there? Which do you need more? The thing you want in this moment or more of God's wisdom, more of God's power in your life, more of his insight. Sometimes when we pray, we get a yes. Man, those are the happy ones. Sometimes we get a no. Sometimes we get a wait. We don't like the last two. But knowing that God is good gives us the ability to stand in faith even when the answer isn't what we want. Job 1, through 22. I Man, I don't know if I'll ever get here. I'm, I'm still working at it. I don't know if I'll get to this level of maturity. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job didn't sin, nor did he blame God. I have so many people who come up to me and just go, you know what? Man, I so struggle with my prayer life. I don't know how to approach God. I don't think I'm worthy to talk to God. I don't, whatever it is. I mean, there, there's all kinds of things that stand in the way of our, our relationship with God. Can I just encourage you with this? Don't let your earthly experiences get in the way of your relationship with God. Don't bring him down to your level. Don't make God be made in our image. We've grown up in a broken world and often we take some of that brokenness and we mistakenly think God looks like that. Some of you are working through some of that. Again, the idea that God is good, just that, that is going to blow your socks off today. You have to start there. Some of you have been doing this for a while, but you need to go back there. Maybe because you never really fully understood what that meant. So you really haven't let that really work through your relationship with them. Maybe it's just something you need to go back and revel in for a while because you've gotten so far along, you've forgotten how good God is. Wherever you're at, let me just encourage you, when you can allow that truth to penetrate into your life, that'll change everything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to be here and again be in your presence. I thank you for being so good. I I thank you for all the blessings that I can see. And I also fully admit that there are probably a lot of good things that you do in and around my life that I don't recognize because I'm not paying attention. I'm not looking for them. Sometimes maybe just simply because I'm not in tune with you well enough to see, see how you work and everything that you do. Father, I just simply pray that this one truth today will be something that will Man, just change our hearts I've been doing this a long time I still don't know that I really truly understand how good you are Father help me to understand that help each of us especially those of us with some baggage some things that we've seen Father help us to be able to see beyond just this world to allow you to be who you truly are And Father, help us to just revel in that and trust in that. Father, let that be a foundation that helps us to be able to go to you with with hope. Father, with uh, surety that you are who you are and that you'll do what you say that you're going to do and you do love us and that you are working good in our life. Even when we screw up, when other people screw up, just when life is bad. You're still there. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus. It's in him we pray. Amen.